Hey King, hey Queen, my name is Dr. Kadisha, and this is We Gotta Do Better. Hey Kings, hey Queens, I am Dr. Kadisha. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of We Gotta Do Better podcast, the podcast that talks all things Black health. I am super excited because I have the lovely Deidre Sully here with me today, and we are going to be talking about Black men's health, all right? It is um, it's health month and all month long, we will be sharing information about this topic. And so Deidre, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you reaching out on social media. Uh, one of probably the most difficult platforms to connect with other entrepreneurs. So mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that you took the time to reach out and that you're here and we're having this conversation. Yay, thank you for having me and, and thank you for answering because you're right, it is difficult. I was like, but it's funny because like being a public health advocate and someone who's in advocacy, you kind of, um, even though, it, you know, for me at least, you know, maybe for other people, but for me at least, it's always like a nerve wracking thing, but you kind of push through it, like cold yeah. calling, like you, yeah. you just kind of learn how to do it because yeah. you're always going to be in front of people and having to talk to people. So sure. it's a skill like well needed. And I'm glad I was able to build it up. It doesn't mean that I'm always like, Ugh. but I just like, you know, push through it and just, just go, go for it. You know? Yeah. Just go for yeah. It. And, and I'm always here for the sisters, the brothers, anyone reaching out and you know offering an opportunity to, to talk about something you know I love that they love um, on our platform so mm -hmm. you know once I saw that I was like all right wait let me get my life together before I respond because I wanted to you know I want to make sure it's a great response um, but and we're here today so yes uh, thank we you, are thank you, thank you so let's just jump right into the discussion uh, sure. tell us a little bit about what you do um, in your platform and, and why you know advocacy is just so important or so important to you sure so um as we were kind of like you know chatting before like yeah. I am a public health um I was a public health policy and community affairs person so that's actually going to be my official title coming soon um but you know just broadly I'm a public health professional a uh, public health policy and uh, advocacy um expert professional whatever you want to call it um but um I really kind of like fell into it um, because I was a public health student. So I do have an MPH, went to school for public health. So I always had an interest there and that was actually born out of wanting to be an OBGYN. So it's a long story how I got from OBGYN to public health advocacy, but nonetheless, I was, I was neurosurgery. So we're okay. in the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, it was, I think it was just like, I don't know about medical school. Do I want to do that? Because I was really excited to just get in and do. And when I realized like the path and I get it, like, you know, if you want to do something spectacular, you do have to hone your skill. So I had, because I had to hone skills here. Um, but like when I was younger and I was like, you know, not even 20 yet, I was just like, do I really want to do this? You know, it's like, you know, but they do that on purpose in, in undergrad. They weed you out. Oh, they do. <laughs> they do. Out. We've seen it's the class, the class of like 60 students. And then it's like 15 at the end of the right, semester. Right. But, but, you know, but that I actually appreciate that. It's like, you know, 
you you have to like do that to make sure that you have the people who really want to be there and want to do that because and it doesn't mean that some people don't slip through and like realize like after they're already in the med school it's like I don't know if I want to do this so I kind of figured that out um early um there's still some you know I would have definitely would have been um and still am interested in midwifery but I'm not sure if we're going to be doing that maybe the next <laughs> lifetime but um <laughs> but you know, long story short, I I made it from wanting to, from pre-med um, to health administration in undergrad, and then um, fi finalizing like junior, senior year saying, yep, it's going to be the MPH. So I found myself at uh, uh, Boston University School of Public Health, got the MPH, and I've been doing public health ever since. So I started more in like healthcare, like in cancer research. So it's actually very specific. Um, it's it's not as broad as public health, but it's in there somewhere if you start doing research. Um, and then um, about 11 years ago, I applied for this position that was about um, tobacco control. And then, you know, you, you, you know, you go on an interview and you're like, oh, this sounds good. And then it didn't dawn on me until I was like well into it that what I was doing was advocacy and it actually affecting laws and policy, uh -huh. whether it be legislation or you know regulations and rules that organizations make for their business, for their organization. Uh -huh. So um, I found myself in that and I was like, wow, I guess I'm like, you know, the poster child for public health, like everything healthcare. <laughs> I mean, I had some blips like in the beginning, like I did something with uh, like finance, but it, it lasted for like a few months. But it was like that bug was like, no, you need to be in healthcare. Like this is what we study for. So this is what you're going to do. So, yeah, I kind of fell into advocacy. It was really interesting. And it was through tobacco control. So that's kind of where I am right now. So I am the director for a tobacco control program in New York City. That's part of a larger state, uh, New York State. Um, uh, grant funded um, through the New York State Department of Health. It's a grant funded program. And I do that. And um, um, in the next couple of weeks, I'll actually be expanding my role or the organization will be expanding my role. And I will be taking on more than just tobacco, which I'm really excited about because it's the honing the skills. I'm, I'm, I'm literally going back to school, but working while, well, you yeah. know, <laughs> so it's like going back to school and um, I will be um, broadening like what I do to being more of the health policy and community affairs person for the organization for all of our programs. So not only will I be um, leading my own program, but I'll be helping the other direct services program that our organization has like WIC and maternal and child health, sexual and reproductive health, some of our um, contracting programs and like really like moving through that and um, doing a lot of the advocacy. And a lot of what that is, is building relationships with community members, influential community members, um, and especially like elected officials. So that's the fun part. I mean, I do a lot of that now, but a lot of the times when you, I'm, I'm the director of the program. So my staff does a lot of the, the work like kind of right. out in the field. Right. So I'm really excited to kind of go back out in the field in a, with a, wearing a different hat. So this yeah. is going to be exciting. So that's kind of me and like my platform and what I do um, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, which is like really a lot of um, advocacy and education and like, you know, running a team that does that, um, whether it be with community members, youth, elected officials, um, you name it. Um, so that's a lot of what I do and kind of a little bit of the story about how I got here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm here for it. Congratulations to you on the new role starting that soon. It's that's 
amazing thank amazing you. so definitely congrats to you keep shining sis keep shining out here thank you <laughs> uh, we need it but um it, it it just goes to show how you are probably one of the best people I could speak to about this topic right now because one thing I've been focusing on this month is really just talking about like why black men are dying like what is mm -hmm. happening yes. among the black male population that mm -hmm. they are just more likely to die from just about everything right. um, and because you have extensive experience communicating with the community communicating mm -hmm. with legislature um talking about all of the things that pretty much impact us um as a society i feel mm -hmm. like you would definitely offer a wealth of information and, and kind of with these kings along their journey so we can better understand what's happening what decisions they yeah. need to make going forward and kind of change the narrative a bit um you touched a little bit on um, health policy. Can we just talk a little bit about health policy and, and really what it means for us as African-American people? Yeah, sure. So um, so before I even get into that, I'll explain like, you know, like just the idea of like, not even the idea, it is what public health is. And so it is the prevention of disease the prolonging of life and the promotion of health. And so there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and part of that policy is like really talking about, like I said before, it's like the legislation and the rules and regulations that are made around a certain thing. And so when we talk about health policy, it's the policies that are built um, to improve like health systems or health outcomes. Um, and the, a good example of that are things that have happened like more recently. Um, and sometimes it can come from a, one of the federal agencies, right? So um, back into, I'll start from the sort of the beginning. So yeah. in 2009, <laughs> the Obama administration, they actually gave authority for the FDA to um, make rules and they, they gave them the authority over tobacco. And so that was the Tobacco um, Control and Prevention Act of 2009. The tobacco lobby is very, very crafty, clever, and rich, right? And so they lobbied, um, and lobbying is like basically, you know, kind of making your case to elected officials to get laws um, written or changed in a way that's in favor for whoever you represent. And so that is what an advocate does on the not so paid side, if you will, we're not as well funded <laughs> as, as um, um, you know, as some, depending on what organization you are, some organizations are more well funded than others, but, um, yeah. you know, when you're grant funded, of course, I am not oh. the same, you know, I'm not as paid as right. a big tobacco lobbyist, but, you know, we're kind of like, we do the same thing. We affect change by um, educating um, and advocating for educating community members and elected officials and advocating for policies that are for the betterment of, you know, the they're for the overall good. Um, so what that what they did was they lobbied for um, particular flavors to stay um, and specifically menthols. And this is just an example. They lobbied for it to um, continue to be a flavor that's offered. So what happened was they banned all flavored cigarettes um, in the country and in other uh, states and municipalities also did their own thing. So New York City, for example, they also banned flavored cigarettes. So you couldn't go in the store and get a grape cigarette, you know, a grape cigarette oh, wow. anymore, you know? And these were, these were a thing. 
Um, but what you could, you could still go in and buy like um, Newports or, you know, those menthol and mentholated flavored cigarettes. Wow. Why did they do this? Because for uh, menthol is what I call like the great initiator. It's because it is the, the flavor that helps to initiate young people, um, regardless of race um, or ethnicity. But um, with, we do know that like 95% of black youth do start with menthol cigarettes. Um, but the, 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 the most horrible part of that is the menthol cigarette is usually what the black smoker uses. Right. So that's why, so here, this is an example of like where health policy affects um, black people um, and specifically black men. So we do know that when it comes to smoking, like 19% of black men smoke. And so that's an issue that that's a, an example right there of how these touch, you know, touch us, you know, home because someone um, very close to me asked me like, you know, cause you know, she knows like what I do and she's, and I'm, and sometimes I like bounce ideas off her. It's just like, well, how does it affect um, the public? Like, how does it affect who you're talking to? So this is a concrete example of how it affects tobacco lobbyists. They lobbied really hard to keep menthol cigarettes there because the biggest customer are black customers and young customers, but Based on race, race and ethnic breakdown, it's black customers. Out of um, all of the black people who smoke um, in this country, 80, over 85% of them use menthol cigarettes. So that lobbying really is, it can be seen like an attack on black bodies, right? Yeah. So yeah. this is an example of what is done and how an advocate like myself um, or advocacy organizations come in and say, so for the last 10 years, we've been like running our... Um, cups against the rails like hey you got to do something about this. this is wrong so um april 29th i want to say finally after under threat of being sued by um one of the um advocacy organizations the and a black run advocacy organization um the fda finally decided to you know they said okay we're going to do something about the menthol i mean don't get me wrong they did this 11 years ago so i'm just like i'm not holding my breath we have to continue <laughs> to do our work and advocate on the ground so that locally people and we, we are continue to spread the word so that people know that's an advocacy part. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're not, they're like, okay, we're going to do something about this. The, the now the current presidential administration also made a statement. So it's been all over the news, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to do something about menthol. Mind you, Big Tobacco still doing their dirt. This they threw, I think within the next like week or two, they threw like $16 million at members of Congress, of like, course. you know, and sprinkled the money all over the place. Um, you know, to you know, and these things are to get them to do things in their favor. Of course. Um, of course. So now we're at this point where the advocacy part of this is explaining to people what this policy work is. Like, yes, the FDA says they're gonna do something, but this doesn't mean it happens right away. There's rulemaking process, there's commenting period, not necessarily in that order. And this could take anywhere from like two, five, seven years. And so we'll be right back where we were. If they take this long, we'll be right back where we were back in 2009. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, we're gonna do this now or what, right? So what we do is continue to go and, and meet with edu um, community members, um, meet with influential community members. Do I've done presentations with NAACP chapters, explaining to people like, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. We cannot wait for um, federal government. And sometimes this is what advocacy means is explaining mm -hmm. like the levels of government and even saying, we can't wait for them. 
We got to do things on the community level so that our local elected officials know that we want this so that we can make laws, um, change laws and make things that work for our favor. So that's like a, you know, hopefully a very concrete example uh -huh. using like the menthol thing that's happening right now. Um, the menthol um, debate or, you know, yeah. dilemma, you know, it's a problem. <laughs> Um, to give people an example, because it's something that directly affects um, melanated people. Yeah, and 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 you, as you mentioned, that's just one example. There are several mm -hmm. other laws we can mm -hmm. talk about. Food, um, yep. you know, FDA. We can talk about. First of all, I, every time I say FDA, I cringe because I just don't understand why food and drugs are part of the same administration. Um, <laughs> okay maybe because um, they're both ingested I don't know I, for me I think it's, it's sidetracked sorry guys we're getting sidetracked okay. here but I think it's because they know the food that we're consuming is going to cause us to have to take these drugs they know what they're doing to the food that we're ingesting mm -hmm. and, I'm and glad you said that okay <laughs> yeah uh, but but that's also another area another policy you know another area of policy that we could look into um you know the, of course the the big farmers throw in a lot of money just like tobacco the tobacco companies they're throwing a lot of money at the government to mm -hmm. make laws that kind of go in their direction and favor the mm -hmm. initiatives and the plans that they have in place. Um, and, and that's something we also need to address. How do we address this? Looking at the community level, engaging with the people at the community level to say, this is what's happening. How mm -hmm. do we educate you and offer better you know, uh, food security? How do we address food security? Right. How do we get better foods into the door so that you're not relying on drugs later down, you know, the line because you've got hypertension or diabetes. Um, but a lot of this contributes to our health. At the end of the day, the health policy contributes to our health and our health outcomes. And it's mm -hmm. important that maybe if we don't understand the policy so much, we understand our health. And, and that's right. why advocacy is probably so critical at this time. Now, I, I mentioned that there's a burden on mortality among Black men. Mm -hmm. um, and as an advocate, uh, what types of conversations are you having or do you have with Black men to address? Or there, there's a lot of uh, burdens out there. We can talk about everything, but you can just pick one topic because I'm sure it, it transcends across all of them. What conversation would you have as an advocate to, uh, uh, I guess, address the burden that we're seeing um, mm -hmm. recently? Right. So uh, interestingly enough, like a lot of what I see is like, uh, especially in public health, it is that move toward health equity right, mm -hmm. um, and, and helping underserved communities. And many times what I see a lot of what gets um, addressed is like, you know, um, increasing benefits for um, Medicaid and Medicare so that people understand what the benefits are. And so a lot of the times people that benefit from that are women and children and not necessarily do I personally see or have seen what benefits black men. It doesn't mean that there aren't grant funded programs out there and, the, and, and organizations that are doing this, but I personally haven't seen them. However, to pull on a point that you used before, it's like, you know, the conversations that do need to be had are you know educating people about the things that kill us the most especially like as you said like black men so like 
the five top killers of black men, heart disease, cancer, um, injuries, like unintentional injuries, so you know, car accident or something like that, stroke, which which was interesting to me because usually heart disease and stroke are kind of like together and together. Hand in. Mm-hmm. Um, but stroke is actually number four and then homicide. Um, so you would think, you know, we, when we talk about things like policing is a public health issue and yes. how people in um, urban communities like have high stress levels because of policing and that does help to um, confound, you know, a lot of different um, health uh, health issues that people have when it comes to stress, hypertension, you know, like some people are stress eaters and, I'm, and, and if my neighborhood is inundated with fast food, it's a food swamp. So there's an overabundance of unhealthy food. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I see. This is what I'm used to. So that's right. even goes to your, you know, what you mentioned about food. Um, and so these are some of the things that I think definitely need to be talked about at the community level so that people understand like what's happening around them. Case in point, you know, when you're saying like the food and drug administration, why are those even hand in hand? And, you know, and it could be because it could be because there's, you know, we know that there's like different things going on with a lot of different agencies. So if that's the case, it's like teaching melanated people to use discernment with a lot of things that are happening around them, like being aware of a lot of things that be, that are happening around them. So it's like when it comes to like the heart disease and the hypertension, the diabetes, obesity, we can just look at uh, like two different behaviors that help to contribute to that, the smoking and the eating. I would even say the eating first. So like having programs for um, families, um, families and black men to, you know, show them like, these are like the healthy foods and not all the time is it the necessary. And I know I'm a public health advocate, but again, I'm a person like me personally and like the culture that I leave it live is using your discern, being discerning. And for me, it's not the plate with the different like circles on it. It's also being aware of your body and what your body is capable of doing, what it can take. How many times do we have people and we know most people of color are actually lactose intolerant, but we just kind of, you know, we just move and do what we want and we just Uh suffer consequences later. But you know, the dairy, you know, like the overindulgence of dairy, like um, how much meat are we eating? What's in the meat? Are we even aware of the brands of food that we're buying and what's in the food? You know, so having these real conversations, as you said, like, you know, we got to talk, you know, having these real conversations and saying like, you know, these are the things that are killing us. And by the time, and we already know that Black men, um, more than Black women, don't like to go to the doctor. And we Uh know where that comes from. That is from a lingering mistrust of the health system rightfully so rightfully so of course of course but evolution is always necessary so we have to get to the point where we're taking control of our health and that goes to the advocacy that's self-advocacy so you know taking back control of our our own health and the only way that we do that is being educated and knowledgeable on what we take into our bodies, why we take it into our bodies, what's mm-hmm. in our neighborhoods and in front of our faces causing like triggers for, for us to take unhealthy things into our bodies and like kind of taking a stand against that and saying, no, I'm not gonna do this. This is not healthy for me. This is mm-hmm. not healthy for my children. This is not healthy for my family. And these are the things that um, you know we have to pass on so that younger generations understand these concepts and it becomes life culture it becomes culture for us you know so those are the things those are very real conversations you know that I would have 
Um, and in some cases, you know, but using the tobacco uh, as my context, yeah. have had to have with certain, when I'm in front of certain audiences, you know, sometimes you just have to like, all right, I'm not, don't come, don't see me as like the expert coming in. I'm just going to talk like this. No, we're going to have yeah. a real conversation. You need yeah. to stop. <laughs> you need to yeah. stop. What's happening? <laughs> That's really how the conversation should go. It's, it's just that simple. But we, you kind of touched upon this a little bit. The, the one way to change the narrative, well, there are two ways to change the narrative. One is going to be by education, disseminating yep. as much information as we can to educate the people that are highly impacted by this. Yeah. Secondly, uh, it would be that self-efficacy or that self-advocacy where people mm -hmm. just have that motivation. They know that this is not good. And these are the steps that they need to take to improve their health. Um, yeah. But how do we get people from I know it's not good for me, but I'm going to try to do better. Uh, you know, like how to, how to, because <laughs> usually it's like, I know it's no, I know it's not good for me, but I'm still going to do it. Um, and, and having them shift that mindset. Um, it, it's a little difficult because, you know, when we're older, we're set in our ways. We've lived this long. We've done this for this long yeah. and we're fine. But, but what conversation do you have with those, um, those people specifically just, you know, kind of help them to shift that narrative just a little bit. So this is, this is the part where I'm like, many people may not agree with me. So this is where like the policy part comes in, right? Okay. Because a lot of the times people are like, no, I know it's bad for me, but I just want to do this. And we think it's like a freedom of choice thing, but what it really is, it's a conditioning because something has been put in front of your face for so long. There's um, now the, the ability to recognize the, the difference between it being a choice and a, your free choice, um, which, you know, some of it is, but like the, you're, you're not necessarily recognizing the influence. So this yeah. is where the policy comes into place. So um, when we're talking about um, part of that menthol conversation, for example, um, and again, smoking is something that leads to stroke and heart disease and cancer. And these are the top things that kill black men. It's okay. So we're going to, you know, um, look into banning a flavor like menthol, which is what we should have done years ago, like just like the other flavors, banning this flavor so that it is not available in retail stores. So it's not to, it's not um, uh, an attack on the actual user. It is something, it's more of an attack on the wholesaler and the retailer. So you are, you are literally the, the, the government, if this were to pass, it is literally attacking um, their pockets. It's not mm. attacking the actual end user, which is also the addicted victim, you know, addicted to nicotine victim. So what is happening is like, people are like, well, it's my choice. And also there's rhetoric out there that people are like, oh, well, there'll be unintended consequences and run-ins with the police if you do this. And it's not an end user uh, piece of legislation. It is retail. So it doesn't mean that it'll be illegal for you to smoke or even smoke menthol. It's just harder to get. To get it. Way mm -hmm. much harder to get. So this is what we have to do is make things hard to get. And then sometimes th things have been just made outright like illegal. So when you do that, you remove something. So even in, in like, you know, raising taxes. So that's always been 
a tactic. Um, so like there's like five points that we like to talk about, like in tobacco, there's education, legislation, hard hitting media campaigns, um, um, cessation and taxation. So if we raise taxes or raise the minimum price on cigarettes, it actually prices some people out because these are things that that are plaguing people who are in underserved neighborhoods and underserved mm -hmm. means like it's poor neighborhoods. So there's low socioeconomic status, right. lower income, lower education, um, you know, lower re access to resources, you know, and things that are flowing to and from the neighborhood. Um, so when we reduce or eliminate something or make it so that it's unattainable, it um, automatically brings down, so in the case of tobacco, it brings down smoking rates. And then when that happens, you start to see other things filter when it comes to like health outcomes. Not all the time, because there's so many things that will, um, you know, influence a particular health factor, you know, but it's about low hanging fruit. What's right. the thing, what are the things that we can do to influence something here to slowly bring it down to zero so that we can see some progress. So that's, that's one way. So that's, that's how we use the policy. Now, granted to be, to be fair and to just be, have a clear and full picture um, and look at the truisms of all of that. When you do institute a policy here to create something, you institute a law somewhere, you're gonna lose a liberty. And I specifically say liberty because that's like the freedom of movement of a body. Right. Because free, because you know, you're able to put the act, but I, so I don't wanna say freedom because that freedom is in the mind, right? right. So when you, you'll, you will lose a liberty to do something. So you will lose the liberty of going down to the store and picking up your favorite pack of menthol cigarettes. However, what you gain is more years of life because like, oh, most yes. likely because you probably have brand loyalty and, and awareness, you're going to stop smoking. Or if it's too expensive for you to afford, you're going to just quit just based on, I can no longer afford to smoke. So what happens is you gain, the minute you quit, like you start to gain more years on your life. So yeah. there's, there's a balance, you know, there's something. So you have to look at the pros and the cons and what you gain as a result of good evidence-based health policy so um so yeah yeah <laughs> so i you you kind of said a few things that's kind of getting my brain stirring up here um it's one thing to create policies um or or initiatives to try to make it difficult for people to get access to things in hopes that it will have a better outcome on their health now, a lot of times <laughs> what we've seen is if people don't have access, that, that access here right in front of them, they resort to other measures in order to get it mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. because, um, because, you know, let's be real. We've got, let, uh, let's stick with cigarettes. Um, we've got a lot of stress. Usually people who are smoking cigarettes are they're not only addicted, but they do it because of stress, whatever right. is going on in the home, whatever's going on at work, whatever they're experiencing in their, you know, um, environment has an impact on them. They mm -hmm. resort to smoking, smoking. Mm -hmm. Now you take mm -hmm. that smoking away from them. Um, something that's been keeping them calm and helping them navigate their way through this stressful time. Um, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. <laughs> down the line and, and where else do we see um, issues like this happen? Because we can say this also for, you know, maybe food or, um, yep. and I'll just say food because we, we spoke about this as well. We can see it pop up in other areas of our health. So what do we do in that instance? 
Right. So like, let's say like we take away, you know, something with tobacco and then what happens is a person could turn to food. So like, I need to like de-stress. So now I'm going to start eating. And so that creates, it just creates uh, obesity, diabetes. So this is where we have to, you know, really get into talking about not having siloed. And this, this has historically been the issue with public health. It's very siloed. So this is where we have to move into holistic healthcare and even like maybe community. Cause we said, we talk about community health. So it's, holistic community health. Okay. So not only are we talking about working with family members, um, men and women, specifically men, um, um, because we need our men, you know, yeah. not only talking to them about like, okay, this is how we're going to do with the, with the tobacco. This is the problem with the tobacco. This is what it's doing to you. This is what it's doing to your families. This is what it's doing to your communities. But we have that conversation going over here, but we also have the, you know, the group over here working with the food and being mindful and knowledgeable, going to community board meetings, going to those meetings where the, where the companies have to come in to the council and talk about where they want to build a new restaurant, you know? And so this is where we have to have, be present in those mm -hmm. meetings. They know we don't need any more. We've got eight on this block already. We don't need any more, uh, um, I don't want to give space to like any of the fast food restaurants. We don't need any more of the, the fast food restaurants in this neighborhood, you know? So it's like, so I'll give you an example. So like in some places they have, you know, put a cap on how many licenses, the tobacco retail licenses they'll give out. So we oh could God. even look at something similar, like putting a cap on how many fast food outlets we have in a given, you know, in, in a certain amount of blocks within um, urban areas and underserved areas. We don't need that many. Why yeah. do we need that many? Because what happens, we, we, I, I watch it. Like, um, I, I work in New York and, um, the area where I work in is not, it's not an underserved neighborhood. Like the office is located in Tribeca. However, that, that trigger and how they work with young people, how they, how the planning, I guess is done. Mm -hmm. The kids have to walk from where the school is because there's there's um, a community college and also one of the specialized high schools that's near me. And they're walking through and there's boom, McDonald's, boom, the pizza joint, boom, Starbucks, all these. And oh, they're yeah. just, you know, boom, you know, Lined just up. bouncing. Yes. And, you know, they're right there with all the adults that are on lunch break, or, you know, <laughs> something like that. So it's like, what what is and this is just this is a more affluent area so there's not half as many as there are in some of the more underserved areas so what's happening in those areas and we know a lot of it is because the food is cheap but if the food is cheap what was used to like you know make it what is in right. it? is it even food or right. is it just edible you right. know so then we have the, the group that's working with you know every here's what we what we have to know about what what's happening with the food so that we are creating healthier communities with food. So for those of them, when they get ready um, and they're, you know, making their plans to stop smoking, there's no way to turn to food because we've started like community education on um, how to eat better, food sovereignty, like learning mm -hmm. what it is to have a community garden, how to mm -hmm. do gardening in your own home, because we know it's harder in urban areas, but it can be done. So like having programs that teach people about um, those things so that we're hitting all areas so that it's not like, okay, we're just going to take cigarettes by now, you know, but really having comprehensive ways for people to understand their built environment and what's around them. Yeah. So I, I just want to give some of the men some tips on 
uh, how to be a better advocate for yourself. We've got mm-hmm. a lot of, um, you know, obstacles or barriers, you know, set in our way to prevent us from living our best healthy life. Yeah. Um, how, what advice do you give to, to men um, about being or how to be a better advocate? So when I, one thing I think about that, I think it's a beautiful thing when men can chop it up with men. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, really am an advocate for men finding those spaces or even being the, the trailblazers to create more of those spaces. Because I, I want to give credit to where there have been like awesome men who have created those spaces Um, um, you know, I think there's like black men's health initiative and things like that. So like there, there are these spaces, um, yet there's always room for more because clearly we need it. We have, you know, heart disease, the biggest killer and you know, you just go on down the line. So definitely, you know, when they're in these spaces where you have someone like me or an advocate giving like this information, like willingly like some of that is touching someone enough to be inspired to be the trailblazer to create spaces and then men finding spaces to to build one another up so then they can go and then disseminate that to the communities to the women and children and the families yeah. so that we can make us stronger together because a, a a big part of you know even how I live my life it's really having that focus on community because we have to think like we, we you know the way we talk it's like yeah well I'm doing this for my people I'm doing this for my community but how many of us can actually say like we know our neighbors for like that right. for real for real right you know? for right real, for real. it's not so, like how it used to be back in the day where you right. knew everyone on right. your block you know right if I did something like you know um even like my landlord my mom she you know she had no problem like asking the landlord to like babysit us because right. this is where we lived in multi-family right. homes and the landlord still lived in the house you know yeah. and so she knew it's or if she saw me doing something or my brother's doing something off color it's like and you actually right. get afraid because you have respect <laughs> for your elders. It's not right. like that anymore, you know? No. So like really having those spaces where men can, you know, um, be with men, chop it up with men, be vulnerable with each other, because the, that I think is, is a strengthener. And then when they're there to, and they're strengthened, then we can be strengthened. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I don't really look at it as like me telling men what they can do but more so like through the like maybe indirectly through the work that I do willingly inspiring someone and like you know for them to see that spark and say I'm gonna go do this and I'm gonna set this up for my brothers because I think that is like a beautiful thing yeah and I think it's something that needs to happen more often I do not feel as though we're there just yet. I know there are a bunch of platforms that have been created specifically during um, the pandemic that has offered a safe space or a space where men can be vulnerable and and discuss what's happening um, as it pertains to their health or mental health or physical health. Uh, and, and, And that's great. And I think we need more of it. I think the conversation not only needs to be had at the community levels, but we need to be more, it needs to be had in the home. It needs to be normalized in the home first um, Mm -hmm. because if you're able to be comfortable with the people in your home, then when you step outside, you already know the power you're going to have outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, because you've been fortified at at the base, you know? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. You have that foundation. You have a great support system. You have people behind you at home that when you go outside, you can just live your best life. 
Um, and, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I have to say, I'm not going to um, take away anything from anyone or discredit anyone. I see that we're making the progress towards creating those avenues and those spaces for our Black men. Um, however, I do want to see more. I, I, I want there to, to be more. And I'm just figuring, how do we get there? Uh, who do we need to speak to? Who is like the leader of all Black men? what is his contact information because right. i feel like we need to expand we need to expand this just a little bit more um and i know like cultural norms and behaviors contribute to this a lot yeah um and you know our, just our upbringing and the stigmas of course all of that plays a major factor uh, but i want men to feel good in being able to advocate for themselves um being yeah. able to make better health decisions um, and, and use discernment while doing that. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and that, and that's just really what's important for me at the end of the day. And yeah. I feel like you've provided, you know, a lot of, I think that groundwork that, that, that foundation that we need to hear, because not a lot of us relate our health to the policies mm -hmm. that are set up in the, in the country we don't we realize <laughs> we don't realize like that commercial is strategic um right. <laughs> that right. billboard is very strategic we right. don't and then if we're driving in that direction every single day or we're looking at that channel every single day what it's does that do to our psyche yes it's programming like, <laughs> It's programming you. And I think uh, that tidbit uh, allows us to kind of look at health in a different light. We're so used to just, you know, having the discussions, looking at, you know, the facts that's put out by the CDC and all that great stuff, but mm -hmm. just knowing how a health policy and, and, and some of the media and some of the content that's out there play yes. a major role in our health as well. And I think men, for the most part, really do need to hear this because as you mentioned, they're less likely to go to the, go, go to the right. doctor. They are mm -hmm. less likely to take the next step until they're like halfway in their deathbed and, and go into the emergency room. And go into the emergency room, mm -hmm. right. Um, I think understanding this and, and making the correlation or, or you know, seeing, making the correlation between the two is going to make a world of a difference. I, mm -hmm. I think their minds, hopefully their minds, Hopefully your minds have been opened and, <laughs> and you're able to see the bigger picture. Um, we're not just talking because we want to talk. We're talking because it, there is a bigger picture. We want, you guys see, we want you guys to see the better picture and understand how important it is for you to make better health decisions because there are a lot of, there are a lot of obstacles, a lot of right. things, a lot of things set in place to force us not to. Right. So we and to need force to, do us to fail. Yeah. And it right. wants to fail. Like, you know, when we're looking at these pictures, there's some really bright, beautiful color spots that oh, we yes. keep on coloring in, but oh. be mindful of those shady boundaries, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, those, those dark, those dark corners, you know, yes. where there's things waiting because it's, it's, uh, you know, setting us up for failure. And we mm -hmm. have to like, you know, use that discernment to know when it's a setup for failure or when it's an opportunity to do better. And it's, you know what, I'm, I'm going to end it here. Well, mm -hmm. maybe not, but um, it, it's crazy because people are so skeptical. Like men are so skeptical about a lot of different things. Like let's just talk yeah. about 
COVID, this COVID vaccine. Oh, they're very skeptical <sighs> about getting this vaccine, <laughs> but you're not skeptical about the things that you're ingesting. You're not skeptical about that billboard that's telling you to smoke cigarettes. You're not skeptical about anything else. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, that, and that could maybe even be a whole two other shows because oh, it will. there's it will. <laughs> that's the you know like the when we talk about like the lingering mistrust and it's like okay well that that's there we are now we this has been we're, we're now at a point where it's not a secret anymore people other than melanated people know that there's a lingering mistrust right yeah. and this is not me advocating for or against vaccines because I do think that it is a very personal choice however it's like you said like how are you fighting against one thing, but you're not really looking at all the pieces of the other mm -hmm. things that you should fight against because they're all related. And so yeah. at this point, it's not a secret that we have mistrust against the healthcare system. So how many times, how, what loopholes are right. we leaving for other people to take advantage? Because all throughout, you know, it was when, when COVID, COVID did not, you know, create health disparities. They were always there. Always COVID there. just shined. COVID was the spotlight. That's all. It was a spotlight for the things that were for this disgusting gaping hole mm -hmm. that was always there. Mm -hmm. And so now that we had, you know, it was like, oh, we're going to make sure that the vaccine gets to the communities who need it most. But then what we're seeing is like non-melanated people just lined up outside the clinics, like, you know, you know, in line for their vaccine. Um, and I think it was in the Bay Area. It was yeah. like people were passing around the code that was supposed to be for a specific population. So how is it this, this happening? It's not, not saying, not taking responsibility off people who are doing things that they shouldn't, yet how many of us are leaving, how are we leaving loopholes because we're not being discerning in our decision-making mm -hmm. or not being consistent in our behaviors, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So some things to and, think about. And, and that's a very important takeaway, being consistent in our behaviors like if you're gonna do not do one thing don't do them all like right <laughs> it's plain and simple uh well i'd like for it to be plain and simple but right we, we, see, <laughs> we see it's not <laughs> it's um, not it's not we got a lot of work to do it's like we it's do like you got it somebody we i just had like this this just debate i want to say it was a debate like like the whole you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink and she was like, no, you can't even leave into the water. And I, no. I really think that I think that you can't because I, ha I have to because I'm, a, I'm an advocate. Like I'm, I, I have to I have to know that I can leave help lead people to water. Um, and just like then when they get there, it's like, isn't this water good? It's so sweet. Mm hmm. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like it's, it's not easy, but because it's work that's necessary, I'm going to keep doing it. Of course. And, and I thank you. I thank you for all the work that you're doing. I thank you for being in the community. I thank you for having those discussions because it is very important. And having you on the front lines advocating for our people is really, really what we need. And we need more people like you out there doing the job, getting, spreading the word, the good word about good health. Um, and, and, and that's really what we need. So I thank you um, for, for your work. I thank you for your efforts. Um, and also I thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you for giving me space <laughs> to, you know, share my story and, and some yes. information. Yes. It was enlightening for some people. 
I, I hope that people were able to take away some nuggets. I hope that it was an eye opener that people are going to do a bit of research now and, and look into all of these things and see how, you know, policy and advocacy and health is they're They're all interconnected and, and mm-hmm. they all, you know, lead to either a, a better health outcome or a worse health outcome. And it's right. really all up to you guys. Uh, to make that decision and be consistent in your decision making. Um, mm-hmm. So Deidre, thank you. Thank you. Thank you You're again. Welcome. You're I welcome. do hope that you come back. Uh, in the oh, future. I love to. <laughs> and, and we have another discussion uh, because I do see that you, you've got a lot of knowledge and I, and I want to keep, you know, picking out your brain and, and taking some information oh, away and sharing it with others. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you. That was another episode of We Gotta Do Better, the podcast. Thank you so much to Deidre Sully for joining me today. Um, And then we'll see you next time, guys. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Please be sure to like, follow, and share this podcast with all of your friends. And for more information as to what we have going on, please follow us on Instagram at let's.talk.health. See you guys next week.